You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Hey! Hey! Hey, 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 hey. How you doing? I'm great. Good. It's recording day. It is. I love recording day. It's a day. good day. It's a great day. It's my favorite day of the week. It's a great day here in the U.S. of A. Yeah. Because at yeah, least in this recording, mm-hmm. you know what, Ethan? What? No great historic cathedrals have been ravaged by fire. Yeah, that is a bonus to us. It is a bonus to us. You know who it's not a bonus to? France. It's not. I'm chuckling. It's I, not funny. Listen. It's tragic. We have a laugh problem and we know it. <laughs> We have good rapport, and we're in good spirits. <laughs> we're not trying to offend. But we're also, actually, here's the thing. If there's anyone in a 20-mile radius who cares more about the cathedral, it's probably, they don't exist because it's us. Because <laughs> it's us. It's you and me. <laughs> we are the ones. We're sad. So just to clarify, what are we yeah. talking about, Ethan? So, okay, who knows if I can pronounce this correctly, but I'm just going to go for the gusto, right? Do it. The uh, Notre-Dame Cathedral. Is that, that is you know, as someone who took two years of French in high school... And is thus an expert in <laughs> French language. I think that's great. Thank you. I'm going to take that validation and put it in my back pocket. But anyway, yeah, the cathedral was just torn apart by fire and the world watched in horror. The religious and non-religious alike, which is, that was kind of an interesting uh, mm-hmm. talking point that I heard a, a lot yeah. about. But I think, you know, what we want to get into today is why the loss of, of structures like this are captivating to us, why they arrest our attention, mm-hmm. and, and why we feel that kind of horror and anguish when buildings like this beautiful cathedral are damaged or even destroyed. Yeah, I think this speaks to a lot of issues and concepts and ideas that are important to human beings. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I really struggled to say that. That really... I- <laughs> I always thought it was purposeful because I just, I don't know. <laughs> I just thought you did it on purpose. <laughs> yeah, we'll stick with that, you know. But I think there's very much something to both the beauty and longevity of a structure like Notre Dame. Yeah. And I think that really speaks to the human soul. So say like in regards to beauty, I've never been to Notre Dame. I doubt I've ever even been in a structure that comes close oh. to achieving Notre Dame's beauty. Yeah. I mean, you just look at photos. Yeah. It is gorgeous. Yes, it, is it is stunning. And those words are weak. Yeah. They don't even they don't even come close to describing what you're looking at in Notre Dame. I mean, on that note, I was reading something about the fires recently, and it was written by a guy who had been there, had spent a lot of time there, mm-hmm. and he was trying to describe the cathedral and trying to get you to feel this oh, majesty wow. and this weight that comes with looking at it, not just from the outside, but being inside it. And long story short, he couldn't, and he acknowledged that. <laughs> He was incredible. saying, you know, my vocabulary cannot capture the unspeakable splendor of this place. There oh, are some wow. some spaces that words just cannot adequately yeah. describe. And so that to say, I think there's something in human nature, because we bear the image of God, that pines after glimpses of the transcendent, hmm. that really, really wants to get a glimpse of this splendor that seems so out of reach to us normally in the day-to-day. And we get glimpses of that, I think, in beautifully constructed cathedrals like Notre Dame, but we also get it in beautifully painted paintings paintings. (laughs) and wonderfully constructed poems, whatever else may come to mind in regards to the arts, I think, in particular. Right. Those arts give us something transcendent. And even now I'm struggling to describe that concept. I think it's something you just have to experience. Like, you know it when you see it. You're like, oh, that that is touching on 
something that's it's, beyond me. It's even like different for different people. Yeah. Um, I've experienced some of that. Wow. I didn't expect to get on Story Lane here, but I went to this museum on a college trip mm-hmm. and this was quite some time ago. And I remember, you know, as anyone is going to have particular preferences or interests in certain things, I frequently remember your weird experience with Barnett Newman. <laughs> um, <laughs> A a very peculiar, like, um, ultra-simplicity sort of minimalist. But I think I was, I walked into, like, the Baroque section, Mm -hmm. and I got chills. Yeah. Like, I, it's just, it's, it stuns me. And Mm -hmm. I think the fact that, that it can do it for us, that this kind of medium can do it for us is really kind of miraculous. Yeah. When those things are desecrated or ravaged, destroyed, or stolen. They just go missing. I I heard somebody recently saying that somebody bought, I think it was a Leonardo da Vinci painting, and Mm. they spent something like millions of dollars on it, and they loaned it out to a museum, (gasps) and the museum just lost it. What? The the institution. The institution just (laughs) lost it. That's horrible. I think I'm remembering that correctly, which is horrible, right? Like, we are aghast about that. And the thing is, at its bare essence, it's just a canvas that, you know, some guy a couple hundred years ago put some nice oily color paint (laughs) on and, you know, did some strokes, you know, um, which is, you know, with a lot of skill and gusto, but there's something more to it than that when you see it. And we are horrified when things like this happen to paintings and to cathedrals like Notre Dame. And I think that's because it feels like a violation of something that shouldn't be touched. Almost like, and I just now thought of this, like the holy things in Israel. Okay. Like the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. Yes. They were not to touch that. And especially if you think about the implements that they're like, okay, put this there, put this in there, put yeah. this in there. They're very unique, significant pieces mm-hmm. of that history. Yeah. And there's something about that that is almost, dare I say, inherent to human nature that says things like that that touch on the transcendent and almost have this aura of holiness. Mm about them. And I, I almost hesitate to use that term, but I, again, I just, I'm reaching for concepts that are <laughs> transcendent to us. There's something about those that should not be tampered yeah. with. Yeah. And I mean, in the case of Notre Dame, it caught fire on Holy Week oh, of gosh. all times, you know, like this is, this is supposed to be the highest season in the church calendar. You know, it's the week leading up yeah. to the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection. It is what J.R. Tolkien called the eucatastrophe yeah. of Christianity, the good catastrophe, the moment where the son of God dies and then raises to life and history is changed and salvation is secured and forgiveness is given, all these things. It's Mm -hmm. supposed to be this sacred time. And in the midst of this most sacred time, this sacred space is being ravaged by fire. And to your point, what you were saying earlier, I mean, even the quote unquote secular world mourned the desecration of this sacred space at this sacred time. And I think there's something about that that touches on the reality inside of human nature, that there's something transcendent happening Yeah, I think so. I mean, this cathedral is, it is actually regarded as a world heritage site. What's that? Well, I don't know a lot about that. I'm going to be really honest. I did some very cursory research, but basically... It's something that the UN recognizes has fundamental significance, mm. and it's legally protected by international treaties, which oh sounds very cool, <laughs> and obviously something I'm 
I should probably be very grateful for that there's a recognition for places and things like this. Yeah. And even whole cities, it mm-hmm. seems. The research was quick. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I would hear these these reporters and newscasters talk about its significance and its value and its meaning even just historically, whether through a religious context or not. I mean, we have, obviously, we're doing this podcast, you and I, we have religious beliefs, but we're not Catholic. Right. And yep. yet we still feel the value in this, you know, and yeah. so the ripples are felt regardless of, you know, what club you're in. Right. Here's the other thing. You also have the longevity of Notre Dame. Yeah. All right. If I've done my research correctly, which again, it, was, it wasn't super in-depth, but I feel like this information is not difficult to come by. The cornerstone was laid in 1163. Oh. It's almost a millennium ago. Goodness sakes. 1163, but initial construction wasn't completed till 1260. That might as well be 100 years. Yeah, it might as well be. And that's just the initial construction. Because here's the other thing. It wasn't officially consecrated by the church until 1345. And then there were at least six major construction projects up through the 14th century. (laughs) That's unbelievable. We are talking about centuries of work. The people who started this project died. Before it was completed. <laughs> exactly. Like, even before it was like, oh, exactly. yeah, well, it'll, it might be completed, you know, in a few decades. No, centuries. In the first hundred years where it was still being built from the point of the cornerstone on, generations died off. Yes. And here we are building McDonald's in one week flat. <laughs> I might suggest that we have priorities out of line. <laughs> we, <laughs> we are an interesting society. <laughs> You're right. We're talking hundreds of years to build this thing. And then it stands for hundreds more years. Mm. I mean, you think about all the things that have come and gone since 1163. You mentioned the fact that generations came and died off in the time it took to build it. Generations more have died off in the time that it stood. Certainly. You had the invention of the printing press in that time. Jets. I mean, just... You could go on and on and on to talk about all the different things that have happened over the course of human history between 1163 and 2019, and yet here's Notre Dame still standing. Yeah. While all those other things, I mean, empires have come and gone. Oh, absolutely. And here's Notre Dame. And I think there's something inside of us that craves that kind of stability, that kind of permanence. Mm, There's something inside of us that wants life to continue on. And we get a vestige of that, I think, almost in a structure like Notre Dame. And even when that is threatened, even in something as quote-unquote simple, though it's not as simple, but quote-unquote simple as a building or cathedral, something like Notre Dame, I think that freaks us out a little bit because we think, you know, it took hundreds of years to build this thing. It stood for hundreds more and suddenly it's at risk. Thank God, you know, the cathedral wasn't a total loss, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, And they, you know, a lot of the art and the sculptures, Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that were what you would say are priceless about it were not destroyed. In fact, just before this, about a week prior, they had just removed some of like the, you know, the most precious artifacts from the building because of the reconstruction that was underway. So that was very fortunate. It was. When something like this happens, when Notre Dame is being ravaged by fire, this building that stood for almost a millennium and it's at risk, we realize it's at risk of being destroyed in a matter of minutes. Yeah. There is something about that that freaks us out, I think. And we're reminded in those moments, in some sense, that the stability and permanence we're looking for is actually very elusive. We have these illusions that we've achieved it, that we've achieved the stability and the permanence that Mm, our souls crave. That's interesting. Then these moments come along and remind us, uh, we're not as in control. It robs you of a certain security. Yeah. Or assurance or something. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something about that that freaks us out. Yeah. Because we want to be in control. And so we're dealing with all that. I think those are two of the big things we're dealing with. 
when it comes to a building like Notre Dame. When it comes to the application of this, because, you know, as human beings, we're also searching for meaning in all of these things, right? We're always, again, I hate to use this term, but it's like, we're always looking for, like, object lessons, you know? <laughs> Which, I mean, that's not bad. Right. But I think sometimes we get a little ahead of ourselves. And I've read some things and heard some people say that we should take the burning of Notre Dame as an object lesson of this idea that nothing is permanent and that everything good is going to be burned up in the end anyway, at the end of all things, the end of time, everything's going to be burned up. So really, Ethan, if that's the case, why should we care about these sorts of things at all? Okay, listen. That's the, and I'm like, I, okay, okay. We have, (laughs) we have unlocked a signature minefield. Oh boy. And all the mines in that field have my signature. (laughs) And they're for the person who asked that question. Okay, not to be actually that confrontational, but as we're talking about art here, I think I'm just, this is, I'm not speaking for anyone or, you know, any organization. I think, personally, I think art is a sacred thing. And that's not to spiritualize or inject some sort of ill-conceived agenda into every created work under the sun, but rather right. it's the pursuit of creation mm-hmm. innately, regardless of how it's ultimately used. But it's not something that's limited to these breathtaking religious sites from the the Gothic cathedrals to the Byzantine Hagia Sophia in Turkey. I mean, they're gorgeous structures. Mm -hmm. But this is true of the written word and of music and dance and, you know, these art forms. Yeah. Both the tangible and intangible. And I think it is a sacred thing, art. And I think there's a great deal of reverence and attention given to art in scripture. So it's not not just me on a soapbox. I mean, it is me on a soapbox. (laughs) But it's also, I think there's some, you know, some like defensible truth in that. Whether we're talking about the tabernacle or later, you know, the attention given to the temple. Yeah. I mean, would you tell the Lord, hey, it's only temporary, mate. (laughs) No, come on now. You would not. No. I mean, if you, I fear for your life if you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to draw out that point, like we said earlier, they were not allowed to touch exactly. certain parts of uh, like the Ark of the Covenant. You weren't allowed to touch that. The high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year mm-hmm. after a very rigorous purification. I think there is something very significant to these things. Oh, I kind of got know. chills actually. Yeah. I think that object lesson is the wrong approach. Okay. (laughs) Just to, you know, reiterate what you're saying. Here's the thing. That's true of all of life, not just art, buildings, all these things. I mean, if that's the attitude you're going to take, why would you do anything? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's all going to burn up. So why bother with, you know, advances in medicine and science or why would you get up out of bed and go to work? Exactly. Paul was dealing with that with the Thessalonians. They were saying, Jesus is going to come back any day. It's all, you know, it's all pointless right now. We're just waiting for him to come back. And he's like, uh, no, get back to work. <laughs> um, I mean, it's almost nihilistic yeah. to pursue this line of thought. It is. And here's the thing. I'm trying to trace this out in my mind. And to be clear, I'm not spoken with anyone personally that I know and am acquainted with or friends with that's personally taken this line of argument. Right, but I, I know I'm, it's a popular one and I've read uh, yeah, extensively. Yeah. So I'm only guessing that most people, when they say things like this, are taking their cues from a passage like 2 Peter 3, verse 10, which says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So I'm guessing they're reading that and thinking, oh, it's all going to go up in flames. So why bother? Well, let's not even discuss how vague that verse is actually, right? Like, what does he mean by elements? What's included in the heavens? Right. I mean, that is that is actually not as specific as we might like to think. We know what he's getting at is that the day of the Lord's going to come and right. it's going to be a day of judgment. 
and things are going to be exposed that were hidden. But that's a little, it's a little more vague other than that. Like, it's, it's a little difficult. I mean, you could consult, and I have consulted many commentaries on theirs. I wrote one of my senior exegetical papers on this passage, really? 2 Peter 3, 8 through 18. That verse is not as clear as we would like it to be, okay. and as some people make it out to be. Yeah. So, aside from that, ignoring that, the next verses, verses 11 through 12 say, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. I love context. Yes. So here's the imperative there. The command is you ought to live holy and godly lives. Well, besides getting into all the implications of that, one obvious implication of that verse is that we're called to live in accordance with the rest of the scriptures, right? Mm -hmm. We live holy and godly lives by aligning our lives with the truth of the Bible. And what does the Bible say about working? Well, here's a small sampling, all right? I think I've got five verses here, and I'm just going to run through them just to give us, again, this is a sampling. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So cultivate dominion of the earth for the flourishing of the earth and yes. one another. Second Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their own work quietly and to earn their own living. I like how you physically got quieter when you read that. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> taking my cues there. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Ooh, okay. That's very direct. Yes. Wow. None of your work is in vain. Again, we may not know exactly what that means, but that right, means that right. you have work to do and whatever work you need to do. It's not going to say like, oh, well, God's going to say, oh, that's all going to... It's not without it purpose. Matter. Yes. There's something about that that matters. Yeah. Nehemiah 5.16. This is a narrative. Nehemiah. I also persevered in the work on this wall. He went to rebuild Jerusalem. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. That was important. Something like rebuilding a wall mattered. Colossians 3, 23 through 24, whatever you, whatever you do, as long as it's not sinful, <laughs> whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So in other words, we're commanded to do work as if we are doing it for God, because as Christians, that's what we're doing. Yeah. We are working for the Lord. So here's the implication. If we're building cathedrals, let's build them to the best of our ability and with the most beauty possible to reflect the goodness and the beauty of God, right? Because here's the truth. We don't know that the best and holiest of our labors won't actually make it into the new heavens and the new earth. No, oh, wow. We don't know that, right? There's nothing in scripture that seems to really definitively indicate one way or the other. Yeah. We do know, like Paul said, our labor is not in vain. True. So... Let's work as if, you know, maybe the best and holiest of our efforts will somehow, some way, make it into the new heavens and the new earth. Man, yeah. What if that is true? What if the best and holiest of our efforts do? That's incredible. And I think that's going to drive us to do our best work. Yeah. Regardless of what it is, whether it's building cathedral, whether it's practicing law, whether it's designing art, whatever the case may be. Yeah. We want to do the best. Like I said, we don't know. Maybe 
the best and holiest of our efforts will somehow, some way, make it into the new heavens and the new earth. I think you know. I think part of the the, the initial criticism that we read, part of it is is leaning towards the oh, it's going to be burned up. It's going to be nothing. And I think part of what we're recognizing, we're not saying that the end of time is not coming. We're not yeah. saying that things aren't going to be destroyed. Right. The point of that is not is not about taking a stance on that point. It's about taking a stance on the value right. of it and the fact that the Lord puts a unique importance on the work that we do. Yes. And the art that we cultivate. Yes. And that it is not in vain that it has this distinct and unique value. Yeah. Just as one more fun little twist on this, let's say that Second Peter 3.10 actually means everything is going to be burned up. Everything. Okay. Okay. And we're going to, I mean, God's going to start brand, I mean, you know, refashion a new earth and new heaven, all of it, completely ground up brand new. Here's the thing. Even if that's true, God said in Jeremiah when he was talking to the Jews who were going to be exiled to Babylon, hey, plant gardens while you're in Babylon. Work for the flourishing of Babylon because guess what? Their flourishing is your flourishing. And I'm paraphrasing that there. But point being, okay, even if that is all going to be burned up, so what? Yeah, it doesn't give you permission to then just write it off. Exactly. There are human beings all around you, Christian and non-Christian alike, who are going to benefit from the work God has called you to do. Mm -hmm. Religious, non-religious alike, are stunned by the beauty of Notre Dame. Yeah. Christian and non-Christian alike benefit from the advances in medicine that we have made (laughs) to heal diseases. Absolutely. And in a lot of ways, when Christians do that work well, they're testifying to the goodness of God. And I don't want to take that line to say, I don't know if it was actually St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel if necessary, use words, or whoever it was, but that quote gets thrown around all the time. (laughs) All right, I'm not taking that line to say, oh, your work will preach the gospel of itself. No, right. no, no. The gospel has to be preached with words. That's what Paul said in Romans 10. But your work can reflect, exactly. still reflect and call attention to the goodness and beauty of God and provide a genuine pathway to the proclamation of the gospel. So why not take your work seriously? Well, I mean, obviously scripture calls you to do it, but even for those reasons, why not? Why not? We only stand to benefit from it as long as we don't make our work an idol because that's the other reality. You can make your work an idol, <laughs> that's okay? That's You can make any good thing an idol. Mm-hmm. But with that healthy balance and the proper worship of God, it's something to be enjoyed and for the benefit of man. I agree. buildings like Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Oh, golly. That was a fun discussion. Yeah. There we have it. So if you have questions maybe about uh, architecture, Notre Dame... <laughs> We're definitely the experts. We're the experts on that. <laughs> we'll Wikipedia that so fast. Yeah, we'll Wikipedia that so yeah, fast. Yeah. Just kidding. We just happen to be fans of that kind of thing and what have you. Mm-hmm. So if you got questions, just shoot them to podcast at horizonschurch.net or hit yeah. us up on social media. Happy work day, wherever. Maybe oh, you're not listening to this on a work day. I didn't expect I that. I don't know. Happy work you know, day. Yeah, like maybe you're heading to work as you're listening to this. I don't know. I hope your work is fruitful and that you remember your labor is not in vain. Yes. Oh, I like that. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.